You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. All right. Well, hopefully that helped. Hopefully that woke you up. But we are celebrating God's grace in people's lives, beautiful believers' baptism. What a testimony of God's faithfulness uh, to his people and obedience of faith. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that I have a book titled The Hard Sayings of the Bible. I want to suggest this morning that this fits into that category. In fact, it might be one of the hardest passages in all of Scripture, not only to read and process, but to teach and embrace. The topic of heaven and hell is a serious and sobering topic. But it's also a very sensitive topic. Because when we hear heaven, oh, that's, that's glorious. But when we broach hell, it's a bit more difficult. I feel a little bit like C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and it's on heaven and hell. And he said this, it's remarkable. He said, if there's one doctrine I could delete in scripture, it would be the doctrine of hell. This is an astute theologian. This is a man of God who has impacted people dramatically for the kingdom and glory of Christ. Why does he say that? He says it out of compassion, folks. Because Lewis, like us, has loved ones, friends, neighbors, colleagues that you're concerned about. I had two weeks to write this message, and I'm thankful. And I can tell you one thing that happened. It's pretty emotional. God kept bringing me back to my biological father. I didn't know dad very well, but he died when I was in junior high. He had cirrhosis of the liver. I remember the last time I saw him in the hospital, he was jaundiced, he was yellow. Dad had no faith, knew nothing about Jesus. He entered eternity without Christ and hope. I felt it deeply this past week. And so this is an emotional text, folks, because it'll hit us in different ways. And I want to ask for grace this morning. And if you're watching at home, here's the thing, folks. Some of us have been well taught on this subject, and we have deeper convictions. Some haven't heard a message on heaven and hell for quite some time. I did a survey with my life group. And some of us are somewhere in the middle. We have an idea, but we're really not sure what the Bible teaches. And the grace I'd like to ask is this, that you open your hearts to God, your minds to his word, that you'll be teachable in your spirit, and you'll ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Let God's word speak this morning. Not what we have preconceived or maybe even pre-taught, although that might be good. Let the text speak. That's what I'd like to ask. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 16. We're going to stay right there. Verses 19 through 31. In 2011, Time Magazine, in April, had a cover story. And the question was this. What if there is no hell? And I thought that was a very interesting question, but what really uh, prompted me was, what prompted that question? Why would Time Magazine even throw it on the cover story? Well, here's why. A leading evangelical, whose world-known, prolific author, very large church, 
His view on heaven and hell switched. He moved from the orthodox biblical teaching to what's called universalism. Universalism simply teaches this. All roads lead to heaven. We're all going to get there someday. And I want you to know something. That's very appealing. It's very winsome to have that kind of teaching, right? We're all going to make it. Paradise, bliss, heaven forever. That's appealing. In fact, if you do some research, and there's books out now of what Americans think about the topic of heaven and hell, here's what's astounding. Two-thirds of Americans today believe they're going to heaven. And only one half of 1% believe they're going to hell. Now, folks, again, that's appealing. But is that what the scripture teaches? Should we be that optimistic that the vast majority are going to end up in paradise and just a few for all eternity separated from God? Now, this might shock you this morning, but the reality is when you study scripture, Jesus taught more about heaven and hell than anyone else in scripture. In fact, he talked with clarity, but also, please hear me, with great severity about the topic. And Jesus comes to us this morning to motivate us to prepare for eternity. But he's also coming warning us because these are serious truths. So, do you have grace? Going to let the text speak? Let the Spirit of God teach us what the truth of God's Word says. That's my hope. I always encourage taking out the Connect cards. They're on your seat. If there is a topic to take notes on, it would be this one. Because we need clarity. But we also need the severity as Christ brings to us. And so let me start with the blessing this morning. And the blessing's pretty basic. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus should persuade us, please don't miss this, folks, to prepare for eternity. I am absolutely convinced Christ wants to motivate, but he also wants to warn. Yes, this is a sobering topic, but boy, oh boy, when you think about this life, 70, 80, 90 years at best compared to all eternity, wouldn't it be wise to pause and think through what God has to say about our eternal destiny? That's what this text does. And so, in a motivational sense, but also in a warning sense, Jesus is going to give us four ways to prepare for eternity. Let's take a look. Preparation number one, be prepared because eternity is a conscious reality. And so again, hopefully you have your Bibles open. I want you to look at verse 24. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. But notice what Jesus, uh, what we have here in this passage. So here's two men. They enter two different destinations. One destination is a place called Hades, which is truly leading to hell. The other place is Abraham's bosom, which is a picture of heaven. Now remember the context of Luke. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to be a true disciple. And a true disciple is an individual who relinquishes all their possessions to the Lord. God, you own it. I steward it. I trust you. We're generous. Last week, Pastor Jason unpacked this idea 
that a shrewd manager. But the passage closed, how? That you and I have to choose between the gods of this world. What are the gods? Love of money, mammon, the idols and things of this world, or love of God, cherishing him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So in the context of Luke, here's what's going on. Jesus is building upon this whole idea of what do you love? What is in your heart of hearts? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we have two men in the story. One is a rich man who lived lavishly. And you can study it in the ancient world. Wearing purple was royal. Feasting lavishly was not normative. This guy is living in a palace. He has a gate to his compound. He's living lavish. What is Jesus saying? He was a lover of money. That was his idol. That was his God. And then on the flip side, what do we have? We have a poor man. A beggar who had very little on this side of heaven. But he had a love for God. He served God. So you know what the contrast is right now in this passage? It's someone who loves God or loves the things of this world. It's someone who's a true believer or a unbeliever. It's someone who is a son of light or a son of darkness. Two men, two different destinations as they enter eternity. Let's take a look at this conscious reality. Verse 24. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? Because I am in agony in this flame. Now, friends, again, I know this is hard to read, but one minute after these two men passed into eternity, one individual in Hades, hell, was in agony. One individual, Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven, was in ecstasy. That's the radical contrast of this passage that Jesus does not want us to miss. So, question for you. Why is heaven so appealing? Folks, it is absolutely, dramatically appealing in Scripture. You know what this poor man is doing? He is feasting with Father Abraham. He's reclining on his breast in the ancient world. He is at a feast with the patriarch of patriarchs. This is a beautiful picture of being satisfied for all eternity. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, if you want to flip in your Bibles. Let me give you a taste of eternity. 21 is a beautiful chapter, new heaven, new earth. But it gives a picture of what the ecstasy is going to be like. It's on the screen, follow along, or if you have your Bibles. John writes this, and he says, that I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, cry, and pain will exist no longer. Why? Because the previous things have passed away. Folks, one of the things I like to think about of heaven is the things that no longer exist. No longer brokenness. No longer sin that easily besets us. No longer grief, crying, pain. We live on this side of heaven and it is a difficult reality. 
Why is heaven so appealing? Because you're at Abraham's bosom. You're in a place called paradise. You're feasting forever in the presence of God. If that doesn't inspire you to prepare for eternity, nothing will. But now, don't miss the contrast and the warning. Because there's a flip side in eternity. It's a place called Hades, which is the precursor to hell and the great white throne judgment. It's a place of suffering, folks. It's for real. There's pain there. That's the biblical teaching. And it is hard. Notice what the individual says, because Jesus wants to be so graphic. He wants to get our attention and not lose it. What does he plead for? Father Abraham, just a drop of water. Have you ever been thirsty? I've done mission work in Mali, West Africa for a number of years. And sometimes in the summer, temperatures will get to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Guess what? You begin to appreciate water, hydration that leads to health. Every morning, I made a commitment to take a two-liter bottle of water, consume it first thing, and then four more liters the rest of the day. Why? Stay hydrated, stay healthy. We're good. We can do ministry. Here's the picture, folks. The basic of basics. We all need water. And Christ gives this picture. This man in agony, could you just give me a drop of water? That's a tough picture. So why prepare for eternity? Please don't miss this, folks. Because eternity is a place of forever consciousness. And it's a consciousness of pleasure. Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven. Or pain, just get me a drop of water. That in and of itself, that one point, should compel us to make sure we're ready. Preparation number two, be prepared because eternity is fixed. And again, these points are so important when you look at the narrative over the past 2,000 years of what people have been taught about eternity. And so look at verse 26. Abraham says, he responds, beside this, a chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. In this story, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that once we have passed through the door of death, we cannot pick up our suitcase and move out because we don't like the accommodations. Folks, this is fixed, and it's fixed for all eternity. Hebrews 9.27 is a very revealing verse on this topic. Hebrews 9.27 states, and just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this what? The judgment. And so again, if you need a visual aid for eternity, think of the Grand Canyon. Have you been there? I've only been to the south side, never to the north side. So you're on the south side, you're looking over to the north side. What's between you? A great chasm. Can you just leap over? Just doesn't work. That's the picture Jesus is painting. And it's a picture of the believing and unbelieving world. It's a picture of those who are in paradise and heaven for all eternity or Hades and hell for the same. And it's fixed. 
Dante, some of you may be familiar with that, wrote the great classic work, The Inferno. Nate tried to get a picture from the past. This comes from the 1800s. And in that great classic work, he envisioned chiseling a sign above hell's gates that said this, and I quote, abandon every hope, you who enter here. And again, folks, you know me. I'm not a gloom and doom kind of guy. But this is the picture from Scripture, from the words of Jesus. And I have to present it to you. And so here's the thing. If there's a fixed eternity, heaven, hell, uh, paradise, Hades, we need to prepare. We got to go all in. You've heard a little bit this morning about the journey experience. And it's one of the things that God is using at Westwind Church in current days. But the elders and staff last fall worked on that. Together, we wrote our, uh, our vision statement, which, which included our mission. And I want to put our mission statement up this morning to you. And I want to review that with you, why we embrace this mission statement. West Wind Church exists to do what? Glorify God. How? By engaging people everywhere in what? In the journey toward Christ-likeness, which is ultimately towards heaven. But notice the middle phrase, the preposition by, by engaging people everywhere. Friends, why do we purpose that? Because we need to prepare for eternity. Because heaven is real and so is hell. Because people pass into eternity without Christ and without hope and that should break our hearts. I want to show you a verse that I think is really interesting from the passage. It comes from the guy again in Hades. Look at verses 27 and 28. He says, Father Abraham, then I beg you, send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't come to this place of torment. Even in Hades, in hell, this guy is pleading, warn folks. Warn my family, warn my brothers. I don't want them to come here. And if that's true there in Hades, shouldn't it be true right now? Christ is putting out a warning, folks. Warn others, because this is for real. You know, it's interesting. I was a pastor. I went into this weekend a little bit, not fearful, but anxious. I think that would be the honest word. Why? Because as I've talked to people and I did some research, this topic isn't addressed at all in the church anymore. It literally has been negated from the pulpits. And so I come this morning and, and you could be sitting here, you could be a guest, first time you're hearing, you could be someone who hasn't been taught on this and you're thinking, man, pastor, can you lighten up? Isn't COVID hard enough? These past seven months have been grueling and now you're taking us to hell? No. Here's what I thought about this past week. If I woke up this morning and I had a huge migraine and that migraine continued for the next two or three days and someone said, Keith, you know, have you ever thought of just maybe going to the Mayo Clinic and getting an MRI? Okay, I do that. The doctor takes it, here's the results and he sees cancer. What would be the loving thing for the doctor to do? Keep it back? Not tell me I got cancer, brain cancer, or to say, Keith, here's what the test showed, but guess what? We're for you. 
We're going to stand with you. We're going to help you move through this. That's what Jesus is doing. He is a loving spiritual physician who's telling you the truth about the human predicament that Tara talked about earlier. And the human predicament is sin. You know, the question that I put as the title of the sermon, is heaven our default destination? Folks, it's not like Americans believe. In fact, if you go to John 3, 16 through 18, verses we're very familiar with except verse 18. Verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world may be saved. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. But verse 18 is often eliminated. He who believes is not condemned, but he who was not believed is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed on the one and only son of God. You see the issue, the problem with humanity is our sin. Our sin has separated us from God. And God in his love, mercy, and grace sent his son to pay the penalty to rescue us from condemnation and from the pit of hell. That is the gospel and that's good news. Sometimes you got to know the bad news in order to embrace the good news. And so this is urgent. Preparation number one, eternity is a conscious reality. Preparation number two, Eternity is a fixed reality. Stick with me, please. Preparation number three, be prepared because eternity is just. And I love what's going on in this passage because it speaks to the holiness and it speaks to the heart of God. And we need to capture this, folks. If we miss this point, please hear me. We miss why there is a reality of heaven and hell. And so as you read the passage... It's really interesting. Neither of the two individuals objected to where they ended up. There's no debate here. Gosh, what were you thinking, God? How could you treat me like this? There's no confrontation. In fact, the guy in Hades, what does he say? His heart seems to be more tender. He's filled with compassion for his brothers who are Jewish religious boys. They had religion without relationship. And he says, warn them. Tell them. They don't want to come here. He's reaching out. He's not defending them. Now, some of you may be thinking right now, pastor, how could a God who is all love send someone to hell? I think that's a valid question and we need to address it. Please hear me. The Bible portrays God as loving, absolutely. But don't miss this. Yes, he is loving, but he is also just, he is righteous, and he is perfectly holy. And because he is God and he is all that, his justice must punish sin. You know, one of the things that's beautiful when you study the scriptures you'll always see the justice of God paired with the righteousness of God. His justice flows out of his absolute perfection, his holiness and righteousness. Let me show you that in a few bookend verses. 
In in Genesis 18, 25, Abraham says this. It's an inquiry. Won't the judge of all the earth do what is just? It's rhetorical. Of course the judge of all the earth will do what is just. That's who God is. He cannot deny his nature. Thank God for that. And then bookend, Revelation 16, 5. Yes, Lord. God the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Think about that. True and righteous are your judgments. He's the perfect judge in the court. Now, if you still struggle to embrace his justice, can I bring it down to human terms? We need justice in society, do we not? And in fact, not only do we need justice in society, we celebrate justice in society. Let me give you a few pictures. Remember Bertie Madoff? He stole billions of dollars from individuals like us through Ponzi schemes. And he was found out. He was tried. And he's in prison today. And some people received recompense. I don't celebrate anybody going to prison, but I do celebrate this, that a criminal was stopped, a criminal was found out, and justice was administered. Just the other day, on one of my apps, Bill Cosby's picture shows up. I grew up on Cosby, guys. It was sad. One of the greatest, funnest comedians. He's sitting in prison in his early 80s. Why? Because he abused women. And justice was administered. And then if you take it up a little bit, the Hitlers, the Khrushchevs, who are responsible for killing millions of people globally. Millions. But you know, one of our problems is when we look at those three scenarios, we think they deserve it and we do not. You know why? Khrushchev, Hitler, they got supersized sins, right? Sometimes that's how we view sins. And, and my sins are lesser. I even ripped off people for billions of dollars. I'm not a womanizer. I'm a good guy. But you know what, folks? God does not grade on a curve Sin is sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me show you what Jesus, the half, James, the half-brother of Jesus says. It's found in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I've broken God's law. I'm guilty. Granted, I'm not a Hitler or a Khrushchev. I haven't ripped off billions, but I know this in my heart of hearts. I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. But I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, 41 years ago, he rescued me from myself, my sin. And now I know him and I have the privilege to make him known. Folks, God is just. He is holy, and he will always judge, as Abram said, justly. We trust him. Now, finally, preparation number four. Be prepared because eternity is a choice. Stick with me. Don't miss this because this is such an important point as the passage wraps up. I believe, again, with all my heart, folks, this passage shouts at us. It should motivate us, but it also should warn us to be prepared for eternity. 
Two unique men. One who served the gods of this world, one who served the Lord God. They ended up in two unique destinations. And boy, oh boy, were those unique destinations radically different. Heaven and hell. There is a choice to be made. Why prepare for eternity? Let me draw your attention. Luke 16, 27 through 31. Again, I go back to the question I asked from the beginning. Is heaven our default destination like most Americans believe? It absolutely is not. Heaven's a choice. By the way, the rich guy is a rich Jewish guy. He thought he had God's favor because of his wealth. He was doing Judaism. He had religion without relationship. That should be a wake-up call for churchgoers. So follow along, if you would, verses 27 through 31. Father Abraham, I beg you to send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them. So they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he pushes back. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, listen, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. This is sobering truth, folks. Remember, Luke wrote after Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He saw how people responded. He saw the lies of the Romans. So what does Father Abraham point him back to? One thing, don't miss it. It's called the objective truth of God's word. He points them back, two categories, Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets. Similarly, it means the whole Old Testament, the 39 books. Go back to the objective truth of the gospel. Go back that the Messiah, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, uh, Micah 5, was forecasted to come, and then all of a sudden Luke 1 and 2 shows up, here is the Messiah, Jesus. Go back to the scriptures. You're Jewish. You should know these things. Why did you negate the scriptures? Two things here. Number one, this book is sufficient for salvation. Do you believe that? You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Folks, you don't need a miracle. You need the truth of God's word. This Bible is living and active. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Paul said in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. First to the Jew, then to the Greek. We say yes to the truth of the gospel. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. The Old Testament forecasted the Messiah would come. Luke 1 and 2, he shows up, born of a virgin. Then he's in Nazareth. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 61. Then he lives a life of teaching and miracles. Now he's heading to Jerusalem to do what? To give his life a ransom for many. This is the gospel. And that's what Luke wants us to embrace. Are you prepared? I want to close with a story that hopefully will tie it all together. Ellen and I had a conversation with a a gal, and I'll call her Mrs. B. Mrs. B is a delightful woman, very spiritual woman, in fact, and uh, about 70 years old. And as we 
talked about things of eternity and things of the Lord and spiritual conversation. She was very clear to me. She said this. She says, I'm not so much concerned about the destination. I'm really concerned about the journey. And basically what she was saying is, it doesn't matter what you have faith in just as long as you have faith. Just as long as you're sincere. The object of your faith really doesn't matter. And then Ellen and I lovingly tried to show her some truth of the gospel. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The definite article in Greek matters there. It's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the only way to the Father. That's the gospel, folks. The only way. Then we talked about objective truth. I said, you can line up all world uh, religious leaders from all time. You could put Muhammad next to Buddha, Buddha next to Krishna, Krishna next to the next guy, and Jesus. Guess what? They all say something totally different. But Jesus Christ said he was God. Jesus Christ said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the only one fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament, born of a virgin, doing miracle after miracle. His teachings have transformed Western civilization. But ultimately, ultimately, he died. He was buried and he rose from the grave. That's the objective truth of the gospel that we embrace. And then I told this gal, Mrs. B, a story. I said in 1982, seven people lost their lives in Chicago. Because they believed in something that wasn't true. They went to a pharmacy and they pulled a Tylenol bottle from the shelf. You may recall, some of those bottles were laced with cyanide. Seven people lost their lives. They sincerely believed that that Tylenol would be a pain reliever, cure the headache. But folks, the objective reality was... Those bottles of Tylenol were laced with death. What you believe really matters. The objective truth of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Born the Messiah, lived an incredible life, and as Tara said, a sinless life. Died, rose from the grave. Today, he's our Savior. 2 Peter 3.19. It's God's will that none should perish, but all come to faith and repentance in Christ. And so as we close this morning, can I ask you a question? Have you recognized the ultimate problem that your sin has separated you from a holy and righteous God and that we all deserve hell? I throw my hat in the ring. But Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin, hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. When you cry out to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, you turn from your sin and you turn to the Savior, guess what? You become a child of God, adopted into his family. And Jesus in John 14 says, I go and prepare a place for you. That's heaven. Are you prepared? Have you made that decision? In the final moments, could we all just bow our heads and close our eyes? We're just praying that the Spirit of God, the Word of God works right now in our lives, our soul. 
Folks, I want to close speaking to the individual this morning, young and old. I, I come with fear and trembling this morning. I really do. But I also come like I believe Jesus came with a heart of compassion. He wants to prepare you for eternity, folks. I wish someone had this kind of conversation with my father before he died when I was in junior high. Are you prepared? Have you called upon the name of the Lord and are you saved? You can make that decision today. You can just cry out to God in your heart of hearts, Father, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And I want to turn from my sin and I want to turn to the Savior, Jesus. I want to accept you into my life as my Savior and Lord. And I want to live for you by your power and your strength. You can do that today, folks. You can do that right now in the quietness of this moment. Sometime today, you can talk to one of the pastors, the elders, family member. Let's leave today prepared. Prepared for paradise. For Abraham's bosom, a place of pleasure. Feasting. But most importantly, where God dwells with man, fellowship is restored for all eternity. Let's stand. Let's worship together.